Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Let's talk about sex, baby. It's episode number 68 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most introspective Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me as usual is the King of Queens, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing, Liam? I'm pretty great, Doug. How are you doing? Liam, you quit your job today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for putting all of my personal information on blast. Uh (laughs) Uh, Next, we'll be talking about my social security number and my address. No, Mm -hmm. I, I, I quit is such a rough word. I resigned from my job today you said take this job and shove it c word um nope didn't say that no okay i should have but i did not no okay well do you feel i mean liam i know and i think listeners of the show know that you've been having a bit of a rough go of it in the year 2018 you have a lovely wife and a lovely daughter but you know your work situation has been a bit a bit stressful so is are you feeling a little freer today do you feel a little bit better after this is it cathartic to 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 even though it's not immediate, to to know that you're leaving it all behind? Yes and no. I mean, it is very much so a release of tension. But I think I'm actually pretty good at large aspects of this kind of work. And I don't know how to make that case in the future for another job. Like, if I was going to, like, keep going in this area of higher ed, um, I would have need to, like, really destroy at this job to, like, really make that case. And clearly that didn't fucking happen so um i i don't know i i just think i'm i'm a pretty good facilitator and educator but uh you know who's gonna want me to do that nobody so well I I, now liam i don't like to hear you put yourself down i really don't i think that you're a brilliant young man and i also know that we have many listeners around the world certainly some of them would be people who have influence in uh, uh higher education locations who could get you a position at one of those universities or colleges or something along those lines. So we're going to do a call out, Liam. Oh, Our I listeners, like that. Yeah. let's save Liam. Liam has an infant daughter, listeners. That's true. And, uh, right? And he needs to secure her future and his future. He's also very depressed. And we, we know that Liam can get a little down. So we don't want that happening. So wait a minute, let's wait a minute, get... wait a minute, wait a minute. Liam, I'm painting a picture for okay. the listeners. All right, that's right? fine. Yes, Look, that's fine. So the GoFundMe will be starting tomorrow. No, let's be clear. I I quit because I'm working a job. It's just not in this area. I'm going to be helping uh, a little company you might have heard of, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Creations, yeah. Okay. (laughs) What? They made your fucking t-shirts? Yeah, they're great. They're wonderful shirts. Everybody loves them. I just want you to do – look – I'm not knocking the people at Lehigh, Luhigh, is that how it's pronounced? Valley uh, Apparel. But but you, Liam, you're destined for bigger things. Oh, I love when you blow smoke up my ass because I know it's Mm -hmm. to lead up to a larger insult. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll get around to that later. Um, (laughs) Liam? Yes. Okay, you shut up now. Today's (laughs) guest is a director, writer, and producer. His 2016 short film, Bluebird, an homage to Charles Bukowski's poem, Bluebird, featured Eric Roberts, and now he's here with us. It's Oliver Ridge. How you doing, Oliver? Hey, guys. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, 
we're very happy to have you, Oliver. We've tried to work this out for a little bit now. We've had some scheduling issues, but now you've been fully embraced into the Eric Roberts is the fucking man family. And as is per usual on recent episodes, you've actually worked with Eric Roberts. I have, yeah. I was honored to work with him on this on this little short project that we did together. Now, we normally at this point in the show, Oliver, we first would start by uh, by just talking about your experience with Eric Roberts and his career. But since you worked with him directly, I'd like to talk a little bit about Bluebird. Now, this is an adaptation of a poem. First, I want to get in a sense of what is your background uh, and where did this poem uh, come from to inspire you to turn it into a short film? Well, my background is English. You can probably get that from the kind of hoity-toity what? accent. Yeah, I know. Oh. It's, it shocks everyone. I hide it so well. <laughs> Um, but my background is English, and um, I was studying at a drama center, or uh, studying at the drama center in London, and I didn't really like poetry that much uh, as a kid in high school. English poetry is weird, the stuff they give you in high school. It's all about <laughs> trying to seduce some maiden in the year 1706, and there's always some kind of medieval problem that's keeping them apart. And So I, as an adult, I had no interest in poetry, but then uh, someone turned me on to the work of Charles Bukowski and I read this poem, The Bluebird, and I'm just about comfortable enough in my masculinity to admit that I cried when I read this poem. And when I was at film school, it's like, this is the first thing that I want to make. When when I leave film school, this is this is the first thing that I want to, to write and direct. And luckily I was able to do it and through the grace of God or I mean, whatever, everything aligned, and I was able to get Oscar-nominated Eric Roberts into the project. Now, Bukowski is sort of a prototypical American poet in some ways. I mean, he very much is representative of a certain kind of masculinity and a certain kind of character that is, seems to be, you know, very American. Did, did, it kind of, did his work connect with you immediately? Because as you were saying, it kind of is disconnected from sort of the maybe more romantic British tradition of poets. What was it about it that kind of s- to, uh, that spoke to you? I think it was the ugly side of poetry. You know, uh, to me, poetry had always been so light and fluffy and, you know, it's all about seduction and romance and flowers and stuff that didn't really resonate with me. And then, you know, with Bukowski, you have such a, a raw, very ugly human being that isn't afraid to, to talk about that ugliness and to talk about the beauty that resides within him, but having to have this, this kind of ugly exterior to the world because the world is so ugly. And I think that's what really resonated for me about Bukowski. Plus, I think I kind of romanticized the big fat man that's drunk all the time. You know, I think I kind of am aspiring to be that, you know, always walking around in, in my robe. No wonder you moved to America. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I kid, of course. Uh, Oliver, speaking of ugly, Eric Roberts had to kind of ugly himself up a little bit. I mean, he's at least a little bit uh, dressed down, let's say, for this for this performance in this short. Does he have, uh, when you're trying to present him on screen in sort of a disheveled manner, does he have an ego about it, or did he really kind of connect with what you were trying to do here? I think it's one of the things that surprised me the most is he had he had no ego. You know, he was really down to to play, really, for lack of a better word. Um it was a tough time for me because it was the, the first thing that I was ever directing. Mm-hmm. And, and that really hit me a few days before we started shooting. In fact, it was a horrible time to be my girlfriend. I'd be like directing her around the house and stuff, like how to drink a <laughs> cup of coffee. And she really, I thought she was going to leave me. Um, but with Eric, and then he turned up and, you know, we talked about his wardrobe options and everything he brought. And he was just so down to be in that ugliness, you know, because he really is the archetypal Bukowski character when you look at this, the way that he's depicted in this project. 
it's kind of interesting because Eric, probably one of his best known roles is with is in the Pope of Greenwich Village, which he of course started in with Mickey Rourke, and Mickey Rourke might be the most well known kind of bringer to life of Bukowski in in Barfly, and it's, it's sort of it seems kind of uh, uh, appropriate that it's sort of. You know, we have this new, uh, a newer, I should say, a version of that sort of character now envisioned by someone who's so uh, commonly partnered with Mickey Rourke. Was that was that something that was in your mind when it came to the possibility of Eric Roberts being in this, or was it just a happy coincidence? No, I wish I could say yes, but it was. It was a happy coincidence. I'd already watched Barfly before, um, before I even wrote the the Bluebird, the film. But for me, it just it was all about timing. I didn't think that we could get Eric, if I'm honest. You know, I mean, Eric mm-hmm. works a lot. But I didn't know that, you know, for my first film and for this thing, I, if I'm honest, I was like, is he a bit ungettable? Turns out, no. <laughs> Turns out, really, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you also, of course, feature Eliza Roberts in your short film as well. Was that something that, that was just you needed another performer to play? I think uh, she plays a, a bartender in this. Was that something that was always part of the deal? Or was it something that was just, you know, she's a... a, a experienced actress and it made sense to have her in the short no it's um i mean obviously it did make sense to have her in in the short i love eliza i'm not sure if you guys met her when you did the recording and i would guess so i mean she's unfortunately my... not she's she is our uh now our new white whale that we're we're trying to get uh, on the show we gotta get eliza on because i feel like you know honestly she's a bigger get than eric roberts at this point yeah basically she i, I have run out of kind words to say about that woman she's wonderful and when uh i was talking to eric's representation about it and he's like okay he's gonna come to set he's gonna come to set with eliza and i was like well i want to take advantage of this so i really wrote out the character of the bartender more i mean it's a silent film so let's say i'm not writing a whole bunch of dialogue for someone so it was much easier for me to write out these these scenes and you know there's I hint very strongly at a romantic interest between the two and they come with what all their years of what 25 years plus of mm-hmm. of relationship together. I mean that makes my job as a director that's basically what's called cheating. <laughs> so that was great for me to have those two playing those characters and to have that relationship already built in. Well, we'll come back to Bluebird at the end of the episode because we have some other projects to talk about, including one chosen by you Oliver for us to watch, which we'll get to in just a little bit, but first We need to talk about all the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. It's The Roberts Report for episode number 68 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And as per usual, we start with a deep dive on the man himself's Twitter feed. Follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts. All one word. Now, uh, the first tweet that we are featuring here is from February 6th, and this is actually going to reference a story that we're going to talk about, the biggest Eric Roberts story of the week in just a few moments. But Eric Roberts tweeted on February 6th, thank you at Sam Jones for the ridiculously awesome photos in at Vanity Fair. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Oliver, did you uh, get a look at this article that was in Vanity Fair? I did. An article doesn't really do it justice. It's like a small novel. It really is quite something. I mean, it really it it's a, a testament to uh, Eric Roberts as both a performer and as a personality that that it still seems so new to me while reading it. Even though I've uh, I'm what sixty eight episodes deep on an Eric Roberts podcast, Liam. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But what did you think of some of the photographs, Liam, of Eric Roberts in this? Oh, they looked really nice. I mean, if 
given the chance, he's still a very photogenic person. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think that whoever took the pictures really highlighted and made him look, I don't know, very distinguished, you know? Yes. Didn't it kind of feel like, and again, we're going to talk about the article itself in just a moment. It kind of felt like that article was, was sort of pushing the idea that people should be casting him in bigger projects that he that he deserves his comeback that this is the time for it to happen i mean maybe uh, certainly that's how it ends that how it kind of plays off at the end but it kind of gave me a, like a sort of a chill at the end it's like are we gonna lose eric roberts from 74 projects a year and instead he'll just be making two or three with the coen brothers liam i don't know how realistic that is but uh-huh. i will say that um if it does happen, I think it's des- as deserved as any of these other comebacks that have happened in the past whatever years. I mean, the fact that he hasn't worked with Tarantino yet, though, with recent news about Tarantino, maybe that's a good thing. But the <laughs> fact that he hasn't worked with Tarantino yet is kind of weird. He is exactly in that wheelhouse of someone who could have played any number of roles in one of those movies, let alone um, an, you know, all the projects that other people have gotten on. Now, he's gotten to do a lot of cool tv stuff but i just think film is really where he should be getting i, I again maybe not may, maybe not like huge huge roles but certainly more recognizable roles that he's been offered well speaking of the photogenic aspects of eric roberts back on january 31st the singer richard marx tweeted this guy at eric roberts is aging backwards and is more compelling on screen than anyone i can think of hashtag cool af which i believe that means cool as fuck, Liam. Is that correct? I wouldn't know. Oliver, Richard Marks. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, you, I can't tell if you're just calling me Richard Marks. No, I, I, I was saying it with the hope that a question would form in my brain as I was saying it. Oliver, Richard Marks, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will pass. No, that's exciting. Now, uh, I, now I don't know how big Richard Marx was on the other side of the pond, but here in North America, boy, he was huge. What was his big hit, Liam? I literally have no idea. Was Thank it God, right here I was waiting? I was the only one. Oh boy, you guys, come on now! Remember, right here waiting, Liam. It was a big hit. Part of Karl Marx. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, Liam is pretty devoted to him too, isn't that right, Liam? <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I'm, I'm stoked on that new Young Marks show, movie, whatever the fuck it is. Okay, sounds like you know more about that than me, Liam. Eric Roberts going to appear in that? Oh, I wish no. Richard Marks was an adult oh boy. Adult contemporary is probably the way to describe his career in the late '80s, early '90s. Very popular. He had a song that went, "Wherever you go." Whatever I do, you will. Well, it goes something no, like those that. Those are not right the lyrics, there waiting but... for you. Yeah, well, yeah. look, Oliver, you're right here with me yeah. talking about Richard Marks and Eric Roberts at the Fucking Man podcast. Anyway, Richard Marks, big fan of Eric Roberts. It seems like that relationship goes back, uh, and that Eric Roberts is a fan of his as well. Nice to see someone being very complimentary about the man. But that does bring us to the big news. Of the week, and that is the Vanity Fair article that we were just referring to a few moments ago. The article is titled "How Eric Roberts Went Big, Crashed Hard, and Became the Hardest Working Man in Hollywood." Uh, Oliver, you mentioned a moment ago that you had read the article. What you know, I mentioned that it seemed like my big takeaway was he needs more opportunities. But it must be interesting for you, having worked with him, having having him in your film, 
uh, seeing this sort of raised profile, does it does it kind of give you an extra uh, uh, layer of interest in his career to to have worked with him previously? I think so, but I think it's because I became such a big fan of his on on a personal level after working with him. Like, I sure. mean, he's been in so much stuff, so much stuff. I mean, enough stuff to keep you guys going way into your seventies, where your Alzheimer's kicks in and you're talking about the same Eric Roberts things over again on the Eric Roberts podcast number uh-huh. seventy six. We made a but blood oath. It's just, it's incredible. So if anything, he needs less opportunity, but more, <laughs> but more filter for it. Because, you know, you talked about Mickey Rourke earlier on. I mean, what the wrestler mm-hmm. did for him. And you, you start thinking about trying to find his version of the wrestler. It's, I mean, the Tarantino thing, regardless of what's in the, in the news right now, has got to be like, you could see him in something like The Hateful Eight. And you see Tarantino yeah. bringing those, those character actors back. But for me, I, I mean, I follow his career now because I'm just, I'm hooked on him. Like I'm, yeah, I, I'm buying what he's selling. Okay, picture it. I'm talking to both of you now. Late 60s, long hair on Eric Roberts, okay? Eric Roberts is Charles Manson in the new Quentin Tarantino joint. What do you think, Liam? Uh, that could work. I mean, I think All you right. could pull it off. Um, I don't know. It, he seems a little too handsome for me. Manson. People talk about Manson being like a, I don't know, visually interesting guy. He looked like a mutant to me from day one, but maybe that's just my taste. All right. Could be your taste. Liam, I do want to talk to you about this article because there is something slightly controversial in it. It does have a lot of interesting uh, elements. If you've ever been curious about Eric's relationship with his sister, Julia, someone who we don't we don't really talk about on the show. Uh, You know, that's something that's kind of brought up in it. I think it's actually a very sensitive look at his career and his life and sort of the difficulties that he's had in it. But Liam, I do have to say. I was a little bothered that they didn't mention the podcast in the article. Doug, I'm glad you mentioned the elephant in the room when it comes to uh, this article. I I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to hmm, I didn't want to say anything publicly. I didn't want to badmouth it because it's a big moment for Eric. I wanted to lift him up. I wanted to celebrate him. But uh-huh. the reality is, how do you do this whole article? You don't mention fucking Eric Roberts as the fucking man. Like we just <laughs> talked to him. We just had this interaction. We got a lot of buzz. And I, I, I'm not asking for a profile on us. But to say as part of his impact on culture, there's even a podcast about him just seems like such an obvious thing to do. There's even a part in the article where they mention that Eric Roberts is the man. And it felt like a big fuck you to this podcast to not bring it up at all, which again is fine. I'm sure that this writer from Fandy Fair doesn't even know the podcast exists. That's totally reasonable. And it's reasonable that Eric Roberts wouldn't necessarily have brought it up in their nice dinner conversation. But Liam, I felt slighted. And I felt it was like, it was saying to us, basically, you guys don't matter, you C-words. Didn't you hear that, too? I don't know if I heard of the C-word, but I did mm-hmm. feel that way, especially because it would take so little Googling to figure out that <laughs> we exist. Just a mild amount of Googling would have helped. Well, I'm sure that they did their share of research and decided to just ignore us entirely, which, honestly, I can't fully blame them. I should mention, by the way, that our good friends over at the AV Club were nice enough to name drop us once again when mentioning some of the highlights of the article over on that site. So if you're going to check it out, maybe go over to the AV Club first and read their article and then go to the Vanity Fair article. Or, of course, we will link it in the show notes. Um, Oliver, when you met Eric Roberts for the first time, what was your immediate impression? There's a really long shot the film where eric walks down the the corridor drunk coming back from the bar to the apartment mm-hmm. and that's 
like the apartment is the very far on the left is this really really long corridor so when my version of a, of an intern i guess someone that wasn't being paid went down and let him into the building and, and came up and and i saw him from the very end of the corridor i was like oh fuck that's eric roberts oh fuck i've got to go direct him like it was just and as he's walking towards you he's, he's got a real presence about him there's a real weight to him he's there with eliza and i'm like trying to think in my head like how you know i'm just kind of overanalyzing how to even say hello and then he gets about 30 foot in front of me and he's just the nicest warming human being you're ever going to see so nice so it was really like oh cool let's go make a movie Uh, oliver you're a cool guy and you're pretty put together so do you still feel a lot of anxiety when it it, it's your responsibility to direct this academy award and golden globe nominated actor i mean again i know that that obviously you've directed you know probably a lot of of shorter works previously and that you have a lot of experience with that but it must be a different kind of category when you're working with an actor that you've seen in so many different things yeah no absolutely but i mean my standpoint on directing is that it's a collaboration and when you have someone like eric with you know that mind and that creative range it's wonderful to be able to collaborate and you know, he's got his ideas and he's, it's, it's great to, to hear those. But yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking. The worst moment was, uh, so being obviously a Bukowski based piece, liquor, hard liquor especially, is very prominent throughout the, throughout the whole film. So we have all these different like bottles of, sure. of whiskey that, you know, because I was the art department on this, on this film, you know, writer, <laughs> director, producer. It was nice you leave art department off when you introduced me earlier. But I was, you know, the one filling the Lipton's iced tea up with in all the different bottles and everything like that. But it wasn't enough. And I went home that night and was like, it's still not enough. You know, we're talking about a Bukowski-esque character. He's going to have more booze. So I brought all my personal booze in. So, and, you know, I'm a bit of a heavy drinker. So I'm, I'm putting all this liquor around the place. And I'm like, right, great, he's got it. And I'm watching him throughout the day. And he never goes near the real stuff. Like he's always just with the, with the fake stuff. And I'm like, great, great, perfect, perfect. There's one take where he grabs the real stuff out of like nowhere. And before I can even stop him, he's swigging it and spitting it out across the room. And I'm just like, well, fuck, he's going to kill me. And he's like, what the hell? Like, this is real. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, you've not used that. I mean, this is a long way into the day. You've never even gone anywhere near that bottle. He's like, an actor has to be able to, you know, be safe and to play around and and to grab these things. I said, you're absolutely right. And I cannot apologize enough. And he just looks at the bottle, puts the top back on it, and just goes, do you know what, man? Don't worry about it. He's like, mistakes happen. You're right. I've never picked this one up all day. doesn't make sense with the coverage. Let's go anyway. Let's go again. And I was just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> that is an amazing story. But it also both representative of your willingness to admit your own mistake, but also that Eric is cool with shit happening. Because I imagine he has to deal with, uh, with those kind of, not that exact situation, but, you know, he has to be able to roll with the punches in the kind of work that he does. Liam? Yes? Liam, in this article, David Duchovny is quoted a number of times saying some very nice things about Eric Roberts. One of the things he says is that when he sees Lifetime movies like the upcoming Stock by My Doctor 3 featuring Eric Roberts, it actually makes him a little sad because he thinks that he should be in in larger, bigger, uh, maybe higher profile projects. Is that something that you feel sometimes as well, that when we're watching something that maybe doesn't live up to what we think the standards of Eric Roberts should be, that it, it feels like a waste of his talents or, or that he deserves better? It depends on what it is. I think we've seen a few movies that, though I might not have appreciated the film, 
um, they managed to use Eric well, and I think that in and of itself is good for him, that he, if, if someone really knows how to utilize him. It's more the films where they just give him nothing to do for like five seconds of footage hmm. that I get really frustrated <laughs> with. Um, but, I mean, it's really weird to me that he brings up Stalk by My Doctor, the new fucking classic of of cinema uh because that movie is great and they really give eric a lot to do and sure do i think that eric uh could be in a fucking paul thomas anderson movie with a bigger role than he does in 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 aaron vice like yeah sure of course i'd like to see him in a bunch of cool uh artsy independent whatever sure 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 but keep making things like stuff on my doctor man that shit's great like i i don't think in other words i don't think lifetime is the marker to me it's when you've only paid for a day of Eric and you don't even use that day well, that bums me out. Uh, one of a, a representative, I guess, from uh, Lifetime Network had read the article and took some offense at what David Duchovny had to say there. And she tweeted, her name is Leah Goldman, at Leah, L-E-A, which she must have got on Twitter early to get that. She wrote, hey, David Duchovny, three possible reasons why Eric Roberts does Lifetime TV. Our movies have featured 40-plus Oscar-nominated actors. We are pioneers in programming specifically for women. Our fans adore him. Also, Stocked by My Doctor is really, really good. Agree, Liam? 100%. There you go. We want to give a big shout-out to our friend uh, of the show and friend in general, Ethan Martin, for his recent success finding a distributor for Eyes of the Roshi, which we uh, featured in January of 2017 on the Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast. It has found distri- distribution through Leo Mark Studios, a Los Angeles company specializing in independent features. So keep an eye out for Eyes of the Roshi, which I believe has some upcoming uh, theatrical screenings at some film festivals around the United States, and hopefully we'll be seeing it on VOD and perhaps Blu-ray DVD in the very near future. Liam, have you seen Eyes of the Roshi, I can't remember if you ever watched it. Yeah, we watched it because we talked to him about it. Well, you didn't talk. Remember, we, the, we there was issues with the recording, so I had to do the uh, interview. You just sat on your ass. <laughs> I still had to watch it, though. Yeah, you did. You had to watch it. Because why, Liam? Why did you have to watch it? Blood fucking oath. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page, and you'll love this, Liam, is 2017's Almost Amazing from director... Justin Price, who also brought us 2015's immortal Dark Moon Rising, Liam, your very favorite movie. Love it. <laughs> Fucking love it. Longtime listeners of the show might know that Dark Moon Rising is probably, and Liam, you can confirm or deny this, the least favorite Eric Roberts project ever covered on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man by you. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, it is currently in competition with After School Special, but mm-hmm. I still think it's worse than After School Special, which is saying a lot. Liam, the plot summary of this film, uh, Almost Amazing, is when not believing in love is a job, what happens when you find something amazing? That doesn't, that's not a, that, that, nothing about that makes, that's not a sentence, it's not an idea, it's certainly not a plot summary. Oliver, this is obviously has something to do with my Canadian accent is fucking this up terribly. You can see it on the screen. Could you read the plot summary for me? When not believing in love is a job, what happens when you find something amazing? <laughs> I mean, what? What are they even saying? What? Look, when uh, the person's job is not believing in love, well, obviously. <laughs> not making good movies, that's for sure. Oh, look, we love Justin Price. Please come on the no, show, Justin. We, don't. we want to talk no. about Dark Moon Rising. Uh, <laughs> this film... 
This film stars uh, as uh, as Marie Livingston from the television show Empire. Justin Price himself plays uh, Chris, and Eric Roberts uh, features as a character named Zane. And in fact, if we want to watch Almost Amazing, we can do so right now for the low, low price of nine ninety nine on iTunes. Liam, hey, are you going to watch Almost Amazing? <laughs> I cannot wait. You have to, Liam, because of that blood oath that you mentioned earlier. Oh, gosh, darn it. But with that said, Liam, it's time for us to move on to the feature chosen by our guest today. Oliver, you've said, Doug, clear off your schedule. I have the perfect movie for you guys to watch. It features Eric Roberts in a giant role. Giant. It, huge. It's, it, it's, it's star-studded. It's, of course, co-directed by uh, Weekend at Bernie's Jonathan Silverman, and of course, I don't want to. I don't want to reduce Jonathan Silverman to one role. That wouldn't be fair to you, Oliver. It wouldn't be fair to him. He, of course, was also the star of the Single Guy, the sitcom on NBC, which I actually watched religiously back in the 1990s. Uh, and he's the co-director with Jennifer Finnegan, a very talented actress in her own right. But Oliver, why are we watching, or why did we watch 2014's The Opposite Sex, aka A Bet's a Bet? Now I'm going to hold my hands up here and say I may have made a mistake. What? Um, so a little backstory is that I'm very good friends with with Weekend at Bernie's single guy Jonathan Silverman. In fact, I was his uh, his intern on a film that he did in London. We became very good friends. When I moved over here, uh, he put me up for a little while whilst I found a place to live. So I could not be a bigger fan of his. But when this show came up, and you were like, you know, let's talk about an Eric Roberts film that we haven't covered before, I thought it would be a wonderful <laughs> opportunity to to rewatch this film and talk about it and have the Eric Roberts connector. But yeah, I may have made an error. Hey, Oliver. I, hey, Oliver. Yeah. You were fucking wrong. I know. I look, know. guys, look, we don't know. Look, anyway, by the way, hold back your opinions. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But what I want to hear from you, Oliver, before we take our first break, what's the dirt on Johnny Silverman? Yeah. Oh, the, the man's the, the worst human being you could possibly Imagine he's a lousy drunk. He can't handle his liquor. He gets very handsy. Um, no, the man's a the man's a nightmare. He's going to be the next person to, to be outed by Hollywood, I'm sure. But let's <laughs> be clear, none of, of that, none of that is real. <laughs> he, he could not he could not be the nicest the nicer human being. Like he, uh, I adore him, um, and he's been a very good friend to me. And I told him about this podcast and this trap that I've put myself in, and he has promised to listen. So if you would like to. Say hello to him. He will be one of your new listeners and probably not a regular one after we talk about the movie. Oh, I Whoa. wouldn't say. Look, if I know anything about Jonathan Silverman, and I know quite a bit, I know that he probably has a very good sense of humor, right? And obviously could take a little bit of gentle ribbing about some of his work that I'm sure he slaved at for months and months and then put out into the world under a variety of different titles. But we are going to take our first break. When we return... Yeah, it's that time. We're going to talk about 2014's The Opposite Sex, co-directed by Jennifer Finnegan and Jonathan Silverman. We'll be doing that right after this. Everybody, everybody, everybody. 
Let's a Bet tells the story of Vince, New England's most successful divorce attorney. To Vince, life is one big competition, and losing is unacceptable. This also applies in his dating life with his love him and leave him approach. Then Vince meets Jane, who is beautiful, successful, and also extremely driven. Together, they enter into a series of entertaining wagers with each other, where the winner gets to decide the fate of the loser. After all, a bet's a bet. It's 2014's The Opposite Sex, which you might uh, realize from that description, was previously called A Bet's a Bet, but it instead was given a very generic title, The Opposite Sex. It, uh, it stars Jeff Stoltz as the, uh, the womanizing divorce attorney, Vince, as well as American Pies and American Beauties, the two Americans. Uh, Mina Suvari uh, is one of the stars as well. A lot of familiar faces in the cast. We'll talk about them in just a moment. Keenan Thompson from SNL. Joey Fatone in Sinks. Joey Fatone is in the cast. And of course, Jonathan Silverman, we mentioned before, he also makes an appearance in the film, as does the other co-director, Jennifer uh, Finnegan. So let's talk about... The Opposite Sex. Now, this is a romance and a comedy, a romantic comedy, if you will. Uh, and it, it, it's really a laugh-a-minute uh, affair, I would say. But I want to start with our guest, good friend of Johnny Silverman, the co-director of The Opposite Sex. What did you think of this movie, Oliver? Well, it's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not Ibsen. Oh. oh. <laughs> it, Toss that it, on the poster. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not Ibsen. Um, right. Look, it's it's got an incredible cast, and there's some pretty uh-huh. genuine moments in it. Um, but did I love it? It's not Ibsen. <laughs> that really says it all, if you ask me. I think so. I think that's case yeah. closed. To get a, a slightly different perspective, let's move over to Liam. Liam, thoughts on 2014's The Opposite Sex? <sighs> When you first messaged me, I was so stoked that we were going to be watching The Opposite of Sex. And I got really excited because I'm like, oh, I remember liking that movie. Um, But we did not watch that. (laughs) We watched this. (laughs) Um, Look, I mean, I think uh, I I, I don't think it's in the realm of things we've watched for this podcast. It's certainly a film that's uh, uh, a film, um, which is put together in a coherent way and Mm -hmm. it makes sense and everything. Mm But you know, there's two things that the movie needs to do. One is that I need to care about these characters and the budding romance between them. And two, it needs to be funny. And in both these ways, I don't think it's very successful. Um, I, I don't really connect with our main guy, our, uh, I guess he's the sort of classic reformed Lothario. Um, don't really like him much before he reforms and then post reformation still not a big fan um and really all he does is just decide his job isn't that important that's really all he figures out uh and then the the humor in the movie doesn't really work for me uh n- none of the sort of written jokes really land and there there aren't a lot of people being ridiculous like there there's no sort of like uh extra element other than the secretary character who's the mom from uh, that 70s show with the what is her name what is her name well maybe that's something you can figure out yourself liam you do have the list right here in front of you oh sorry i wasn't looking at it it's all right well, i the, can't remember what her name is Deborah <laughs> yeah there you go so uh it seems like one of the few people who's really kind of going over the top in this is is Deborah Joe Rupp and it doesn't work. Nothing about it really clicks. While what you country have... was she meant to be from, by the way, to completely interrupt you, but what the hell? What what was that accent from? Nothing about it makes any sense to me. That her whole performance is kind of coming out of left field. Meanwhile, Keenan Thompson, someone who I think 
if you let him act ridiculous is actually kind of funny. Um, even if it doesn't work for the whole movie, like he can at least be, he is not doing anything in this movie. He's just there to be a guy in the movie. And I, you know, I, I just didn't understand that. I do want to, I really want to concur with you for a moment, Liam, because I do think that the biggest issue with this movie is that you have a lead character that is an asshole. I mean, that's kind of his deal. He is, he is, blatantly a rich jerk who doesn't give a shit about anyone and is kind of unwilling to grow up and become a, 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 you know, kind of join the real world and have a serious relationship. And his reformation comes from having to make a sacrifice that in the grand scheme of his life is a very small sacrifice. He'll still be rich. He'll still be successful. He's still a lawyer and he's still kind of an asshole at the end of the movie. And I think it takes a really charismatic performance to make the audience be like, well, you know, he's a jerk, but I just love watching him. But I'll tell you, man, I did not enjoy watching him. I also feel there's kind of a weird bait and switch where it seems like one character is going to be the lead right at the beginning or there's going to be like co-leads. And then it just completely focuses on this relationship between Vince and Jane, played by Mina Savari. And I, I didn't really care about whether they got together or not. I didn't feel emotionally invested. And I know that, look... As long as the humor is good enough, as long as the comedy is hitting, then I don't really, you know, I guess I don't have to feel that invested with the characters. But I just, I, I not a lot of laughs to be had in 2014's The Opposite Sex for me. But Oliver, aside from your, your base criticism, did you laugh while watching the movie? What was the funniest part for you? It got some laughs out of me. Yeah, uh -huh. absolutely it did. The funniest part... The outtakes and the credits? No, I can do better than that. Come on. <laughs> I can do I can do better than that. <laughs> no, not since the cannonball run. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it did get some it did get some laughs out of me. I know sure. it did, Oliver. I'm sure it did. So why don't you tell us one of those instances where you were just falling out with how much you were enjoying the movie? Ah, Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Is that, can I use Liam's internet connection for a second? <laughs> Just scan your... Let me remind you of some of the funnier moments of the movie. There's, As the plot description mentioned, there's a series of bets that take place. And usually the, uh, the men, these uptight jerks, they're on the losing end of these bets, so they have to do embarrassing things. Uh, and one of the embarrassing things they have to do, and this is Liam's favorite is they have to go to a gay bar and dance on stage in front of gay men, right? And they dance, they do kind of like a ballet dance, and uh, the crowd goes wild, and they win a, a cock-shaped award, and, uh, and that's funny, right, Oliver? The Shaft and Balls, which, by the way, <laughs> to be clear, viewers, is actually the name of the act. I'm not just randomly shouting mm -hmm. out Shaft and Balls. Um, but yes, that is that is a thing. That is a scene that happens in the that movie. happens that occurs in the movie. There's also I, I, I didn't a... mind the shooting range where he misses the target and declares it a warning shot. I mean, that's I thought that was pretty. I thought that was all right. That got that, a yuck out of me. That got a solid I actually, yuck out of me. I'm right there with you. I actually thought that was pretty funny that his his, his continued explanation for why he's shooting was so bad. Uh, I actually thought that Joey Fatone was actually pretty funny in his very brief appearance as a delivery man, uh, including his uh, rapid change of emotion regarding uh, his kind of offense at, uh, at them not wanting him to stick around and look at these uniforms that he's delivered that he apparently has rooted, on, rooted through and possibly tried on. Liam, back to that sequence I mentioned before at the gay bar. What did you think of that particular part of the movie? 
I don't know that I was a fan of that part. I mean, I... You know, Liam, just just, sorry to interrupt you. It seemed a little bit like the movie was saying, what more humiliating thing to two straight men could there possibly be than having to perform in front of gay men? I mean, I think the idea was that it was... It wasn't just a performance. There's sort of suggestion that it's supposed to be a... um, It wasn't necessarily a drag show, though the host was a drag queen. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of... uh, I think it was meant to be a sexy performance, though the performance we see beforehand... It's just two guys with random dildos just waving dildos around. (laughs) So it's not really clear what the context is. It almost felt like maybe it was supposed to be funny. And then they're just in these tutus. And that doesn't work. No, No one who is cross-dressing that I'm aware of is like, well, let's just put a tutu on over our normal clothes and then that will be sufficient. Like I, 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 so there was that anxiety. And then, um, you know, there was a lot of humor from that. And then from later on, he goes to these, uh, same gentlemen, uh, for advice and that's played for humor's sake. And it just didn't click with me. I I wouldn't go so far as to say it was offensive, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like it. It felt a little old fashioned, I do have to say. It felt like it, it was yeah. coming from, you know, a, a comedy from even the mid 90s, but something from 2014. It feels a little bit like, yeah, is this what we're doing now? Because I don't know, not really working for me. You could even play the moment of them having to perform in a way that would work. Like, sure. two, two uptight straight guys who actually go full drag and have to actually dance and actually sure. do that level of performance would be great. Not because, ew, it's icky that they're in dresses, but like, Whew, that's a lot of commitment for two dudes who don't know. You know what I mean? Like, there's a way in which that performance is a lot for anyone. Um, and they never make it like, oh, it's gross or anything like that's that true. per that's se, which they could have done. And so I was glad they didn't do that. But it's also not clear why what they're doing matters. And then the joke seems to be that everyone's actually really touched by them twirling in their tutus. They're very touched by their performance, which I also was like, I guess that's funny, but I don't – it just didn't work for me. You know what I mean? It just seemed like unnecessary, though bringing them back later could have also been funny, though that also didn't really work. It seemed like they were going to do like a um, – uh, oh, fuck. Oh, like a Cyrano de Bergerac type thing where they're kind of giving him advice from, uh-huh. from outside, but then they never – they never play it off at all. It doesn't really do anything. Anyway, yeah, the bush but, just kind of just shakes, doesn't it? As they stand behind does. the bush, and it just kind of shakes. And it's like the are they biggest joke. Or are they doing other things back there? What are they doing back there? Yeah, like oh, the biggest know. joke in that scene seems to be that they understand women more than he does is part of the humor. But then also the guy jumps through a bush. Those are the only really jokes, like the only sources of humor from that thing. Now, granted, I get that, you know, like, oh, he needs to go to them because he's that dumb about what real romance is about. That could really work, but it just doesn't, it doesn't snap the way I want it to. And so, you know, I, if someone said they were bummed by it, I wouldn't be surprised. Ooh, bummed. What are you saying, Liam? (laughs) But (laughs) sorry, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I I get it. You don't use a lot of slang in Canada. Oliver, romance, comedy, sometimes they go together. Sometimes they go together like chalk and cheese. What are some of your favorite romantic comedies? Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, that's a good one. That has to be that. For me, that changed the romantic comedy genre. Like, you know, not to be too stereotypical, but the most of the time I would watch them would be on dates. And, you know, they didn't want to watch any Eric Roberts movies because, you know, boo. 
Um, but they would suggest things, uh, these romantic comedies, and I wasn't really into them. Like, I mean, people love Love Actually, and I was like, I mean, this is good, I suppose, but I thought Crazy Stupid Love was great, and that, that for me changed the genre. I, I, I wasn't expecting to hear that, but you're right. That's a very good movie. Liam, I actually just want to jump back to you for a moment. What do you think of the romantic comedy genre, and do you have a personal favorite? Um... I think I am one of those people that would very easily write it off. Like romantic comedy is kind of like country music for me and that it's very easy for me to just shorthand say like, oh, it's bad. I don't care about it. But if you got specific about certain things, there are movies that kind of make their way through that I actually do enjoy. But I don't I guess I don't think of them as romantic comedies, though they clearly are. So like one would be like When Harry Met Sally. You know, Yeah, that's a romantic comedy. What a tiresome response that is, Liam. Just say you love romantic comedies. But I don't. I mean, that's like one of a few. I, I generally don't find them very funny, and I don't find – I mean, part of this issue is that I tend to prefer romantic films that are sad and tragic. Fair enough. Yeah, that does that does play. That does seem to be representative <laughs> of the Liam mode. Uh, but that's, I that's... like comedy. I like screwball comedy. I like weird comedy. I like dark comedy. Uh, I, for whatever reason, a lot of romantic comedies, they just aren't very funny to me. I just would rather watch Super Troopers most of the time than a romantic comedy. But Oliver brought up Crazy Stupid Love. I saw that in the theaters. I really like that. So I can't pretend that I don't like any of them, but I don't have a list that I'm like, oh, these are all the ones that I really enjoy. We mentioned previously that this is a bit of an all-star cast in The Opposite Sex, or at the very least, a lot of familiar faces on display. We mentioned Mina Savari is in it, who's an actress I actually haven't seen in uh, in a lot of projects recently. Uh, but she has a, a basically the lead female role here, Keenan Thompson from SNL, we mentioned. Uh, Joey Fatone, as we mentioned before. Jonathan Silverman himself appears in this. Kristen Chenoweth shows up uh, briefly at the very beginning of the movie, having sex in a bathroom. Uh, and there's a number of familiar faces, including, um, I'm actually... Liam and I were talking about this right before we started. At the very end of the movie, an actor approaches Vince, the uh, lawyer character, and I thought it was C. Thomas Howell, the famous C. Thomas Howell. And Liam, who did you think it was? Oh, um, the British vampire from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. James Marsters. Oh, and sure. And it, it was turns Dana out, Ashbrook, was it? it? It was Dana Ashbrook, Bobby from Twin Peaks. So I guess he was familiar for a reason, uh, but it was nice to see another familiar face appear right near the end of the movie. But I did want to ask you, Oliver, who do you think acquits themselves, aside from Eric Roberts, the best in the movie? Liam and I both mentioned that we had a little bit of difficulty with the male lead, but that really has more to do with the writing than the performance. Any performances that you particularly enjoyed? Uh, obviously, Eric Roberts, of course. I thought it was I thought it was wonderful and wish we could have seen more of him. That was very clearly a half a day's work uh, in the t- in the two in the two scenes. Like I doubt he even stayed after lunch. Um, I actually and I, I mean this, I'm not just trying to win points back with Johnny when he hears this. I actually enjoyed like those therapy sessions and like seeing the couples and, and what they were going through. I, I would like to have seen that be explored a little bit more. I enjoyed Johnny's character, but for me, who who won it was uh, Kristen Chenoweth. I just think yeah. she's just wonderful, right? And if you can play that character that you just said that just basically her whole uh, objective in the film, I guess, is to get laid in the bathroom in lots of ways throughout her divorce proceeding. Uh, I thought she was wonderful and I thought she played it brilliantly. And yeah, so I just think she's a delight though. I can see why as the co-director, Jonathan Silverman probably didn't want to have a larger role than he has in the movie. It very much is, is kind of like a one scene or a couple of scenes in the entire movie uh, as, a, as basically one of the patients of uh, one of the other male characters. But I actually, there's a part of me when I was watching it that thought, 
he would have been a better lead in the movie. Maybe it's because I've only seen him play a lot of really kind of nice guys, but I think he might have that kind of, because he has that kind of uh, uh, genteel uh, uh, look about him and also a lot of his performances, that maybe he could have brought that kind of likability to the lead character that we don't really get here. But again, that's just how it played out for me. I think I may would have liked to have seen him a little bit more. Liam, did any of the performances jump out to you? Aside from Eric Roberts. Um, that's actually a pretty good question because there's a lot of small, memorable performances. Like you mentioned Joey Fatone, I thought was all right. Um, I actually, though I didn't like the way that, that they were using them. I actually liked the, um, drag queen, uh, I thought um, they were pretty great, uh, but you know there wasn't a lot. I mean, I feel like none of the performances—I don't know if I'd say none—but uh, it wasn't that the performances were really bad that I found someone really frustrating or or anything like that. But it just felt like a lot of it was kind of flat, so not a lot stood out to me. I guess the only other thing I would say is the ex-husband um, who uh, the, our main character is working for. Uh, sorry, I'm Kendrick, looking at the pickle prince. That's right, played by yeah, Josh. Josh. Am I the only Cook. one that was confused as to who was actually getting divorced? Like, I thought Mina Savari was getting divorced, but then it no, was like, already yeah, yeah, been yeah, divorced, yeah. and then she was divorced to someone else. I didn't put that together as easily as I perhaps should have. In that, yeah, how did she not get confusing. anything in the divorce? That's I, look. I know that this these things can happen. That that maybe I guess she signed a prenup or something. But like the whole concept of the movie. And by the way, it's fucking ridiculous sorry but it is (laughs) this idea that Munisavari was uh married to this complete asshole who is also the pickle king of new england or whatever pickle Uh, prince you've you've jacked him way up the monarchy well one day (laughs) (laughs) and so she got divorced uh she ends up uh having a a slowly developing relationship with this divorce lawyer she doesn't realize that he's defending this pickle prince in his next divorce And the big conflict at the center of the movie is that he has to decide whether he wants to continue this case, which is the biggest case of his career, or have a relationship with this this beautiful, uh, apparently perfect at everything woman. Uh, And it's like a big challenge for him to finally decide to be with her instead. But it's just like it doesn't seem like enough of a conflict because it's really just for him a choice between being a complete fucking asshole and being like even the barest minimum decent person (laughs) and and even when he makes that choice you're not entirely sure if it's like uh if it's a long-term choice necessarily but you know what he likes to coach in that little league team so good on him Um, how how did he pass the bar like what are new england expecting from their lawyers you mean you mean in terms of being generally decent and honest no is in like generally having an intelligence (laughs) he does seem to be a complete fucking moron but i mean look (laughs) I've met a few lawyers in my time who (laughs) – you just got to study hard. I guess that's all it's got to take. I mean, but neither of them really work in their roles. Like his – the friend role, which is – at first seems like a major role and then he just disappears from most of the movie. Mm -hmm. He certainly doesn't seem like a therapist either. Like nothing about him gives out the – I've worked, I've put in my whatever 10,000 hours of therapy time. I really know how to, he kind of seems like uncomfortable about talking about things. So it's just a weird choice, especially because though I agree those scenes weren't so bad with the, with that he does, they could have given him any job. Like the, he, he, nothing about his character requires him to be a therapist and nothing about that actor says therapist. Liam, him being bad at his job is a little thing called dramatic irony. 
You see, uh-huh. because he has trouble in his own relationship uh, where his wife talks about, like, stretching his balls over her face. and But really, like, he's giving advice to other people. And also, he only charges $50 an hour. He's basically a non not-for-profit therapist, apparently. Well, anyways, Josh Cook as the pickle prince is pretty great with his shitty mustache and his ass. Like it's it's not a great role, but he is like excited to do it, and that kind of is infectious. Boy, I'll tell you what. uh, I just pulled up on the Internet Movie Database page the uh, one of the posters that's that's shown there for a bet's a bet when it was still called a bet's a bet, which is a very a much better title for this particular movie. And I do have to say. It's an awful, it's an awful poster, and I actually have to share it with you so you can all see exactly how awful it is. Just one moment here. (laughs) I'm not joking around. It's pretty bad. Here we go. All right, that should be going out to you right now. It looks to have been put together in not Photoshop, perhaps MS Paint, in about a seven minute period. Liam, can you see that on your screen at the moment? No. Uh, right. where did you, did well, you put it in the notes? or I, I, put, the... I put it in the Skype chat. Sorry. Oh, I don't see it. No. All right. All right. I, I can see it. And trust me, you're not missing much. <laughs> Literally not missing much. There's like yeah, four no, elements to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I'm seeing it now. That's terrible. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. So this guy can see. here at the bottom, the, the Chad A. Verdi, the producer. I mean, if you actually look through the credits um, on the Internet Movie Database, uh, there's a lot of people with that last name. And I'm not sure that name's that common in in Providence, <laughs> Rhode Island. So I think he, he may have uh, given a lot of his family members a solid there because there is a lot of Verdes in this film. Oliver, you're a director. You direct things. You've directed a, uh, a short film with Eric Roberts. You, uh, you've produced an upcoming feature film. If someone gave you this material, how could you punch it up? What's a good way to shoot the opposite sex in a way that makes it a little bit more interesting? What would you change in this movie? I think that's what we all want to know, Oliver. Um, no, I mean, what what would you change? I think you've got to you've got to change the the character, the lead, the protagonist into having something to really lose, like you guys pointed out, and you have to you have to resonate with him on some level uh, emotionally, um, and you know it does miss that mark. And it is a little tough because it's, a lot of the comedy is based in you know, like you said, that kind of like early '90s comedy, and we're seeing a lot of that go. Now, the, you know, the jokes that are being made in this aren't really the jokes that are being made going forward in, in comedy in, in Hollywood. Um, I'd probably turn the whole thing on its head, make it about the woman as the lead character. Um, what else? I don't know. I would make probably several characters on fire. That would There that would you really go. Sort of, maybe throw a pie or two. I mean, everyone you, loves you, a good pie throw. Well, you said that about the, the female character, but it's funny because the movie kind of suggests it might go that way. Like, part of the theory here is that um, she also is a heartbreaker. And so there's a feeling early on in the movie that what's really going to happen is he's going to get his comeuppance because she's a real man eater. You know, she really she really breaks men down. And then none of that is evident other than her having a little bit of an attitude with him. There's no evidence of this like man eater persona that she describes. No, and apparently she's always free. She's always home whenever he wants to drive into her driveway and honk honk his horn. It's all very serendipitous, the timing. that She doesn't really have a lot going on for such a man-eater. You know, I thought, and maybe this is just me uh, reaching very, very far, Oliver, but the theme of Bluebird, and particularly the poem, about sort of this this hard shell that a lot of men have and they're unable to kind of express their emotions, which is a very simplified version of what that poem is about— 
that's sort of on display in the opposite sex as well, except instead of, of this bluebird, it's the drug ecstasy, which our lead character has to take, and then he's able to express himself. And I think that the message of the opposite sex, if I could break it down, is that men should be on drugs all the time in order to be able to express themselves honestly to women. What did you take away from that, Oliver? That men should be on drugs all the time. Like, I, mm. I liked the whole pitch, but let's just shorten it down. Just, yeah, just that. I think that's, that's really what they're trying to say. Liam, I know that you're not a big fan of drugs, but what did you think of the sequence in this movie where our lead character uh, is spiked? He's actually uh, dosed at a bar uh, in a very hilarious scene where he has to speak to unattractive people for five minutes. And apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> uh, and then he is d- drugged and has to um, basically be, be babysat by Mina Savari's Jane uh, while he expresses himself emotionally. What did you think of that sequence in the movie? Mm, no thank you not a big fan i mean it's just it's to me it feels kind of cheap it just feels like uh, (laughs) an obvious sort of uh plot device and i'd never as someone who doesn't do drugs i still feel like i've been around enough high people that i don't understand the way we portray high people like maybe it's just the people i've been around who are high are just really fucking high or maybe they're just weirdos or what. But the way it's always in movies, I don't understand. I'm like, who acts like that? I don't know. So I just didn't, it, it didn't feel very believable to me. Um, it, it was weird. And I also don't know how often just like, if you're, you know, hitting on someone, just dropping ecstasy in their glass is really going to work out for you because there could be all kinds of weird reactions they might have. So I don't know. That whole sequence is kind of strange, though. I guess it gave an interesting opportunity because it, it allowed him to finally win at something. Um, Though it's, you know, a stretch, I think on that win. Yeah. This is the first thing he wins at is he managed to talk to two ugly people. (laughs) And it was uh, not a rewarding experience. I mean, it wasn't a one of which, by the way, was not ugly. So whatever. Yeah. Sorry. I I, I didn't mean to uh, insult. And honestly, you saying one of them was kind of insulting to the other one, Liam. Yeah. I was that was the joke, Doug. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step over your sense of humor. Um, Oliver, just turning back to you uh, before we talk about Eric Roberts. Say you had the ability to speak to co-director Jonathan Silverman. If you had a message that you could send to him, say that. Look, just I'm just going to imagine a scenario that say tomorrow you're actually going to be spending time with him and his newborn child or something like that. What is something that you would say to him now that you have experienced the opposite sex and talked about it with us? That's a very specific pitch about mm, seeing him right. tomorrow. I mean, uh-huh. the odds of the odds of that are highly unlikely. Astronomical, I would say. Ast- astronomical, like Tesla in the in the orbit. Astronomical. <laughs> um, what would it's I another say? Another timely I'd say reference. I'm sorry. I'd say I'm very sorry, Johnny. I made a mistake in in my selection of podcasts. Please, please forgive me. Um, but would I oh, say my. after this, uh, for a, a bet's a bet or the opposite sex? I don't know what to call it. I really don't. Um, I would say keep making, keep directing movies. Like maybe we call this one a mulligan, not a Kerry mulligan, but a mulligan. Oh. Um, and, you know, maybe go again. 
I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that we're saying that because we didn't necessarily enjoy The Opposite Sex that we don't want to see more directorial work from Jonathan Silverman. I am very curious about what he's going to do next, whether in the acting or directing world. And I'm sure Liam feels the same. Isn't that right, Liam? 100%. Now, Liam, say you were going to lunch, let's say, with Johnny Silverman. Mm-hmm. Yo, Weekend at Bernie's is sick. What? Now, are you are you being ironic now, Liam? I can never tell with you. <laughs> I know that my my uh, my humor doesn't work in Canada. It's true. I need to mm-hmm. I need to work on it. Um, yeah, I mean that's probably what. But I'm not being. That's actually probably what I would say. I mean that that's a little unfair because single guy is also sick. So it would be hard to choose which one to focus on as being sick. I feel like you got to like one of the good things about an Eric Roberts podcast is that if we ran into Eric Roberts on the street, now of course we're good pals now, so of course we'd say, "Hey Eric," but if it was before time, the before time, we wouldn't be the guy who would be like, "Hey Eric, Pope of Greenwich Village, King of the Gypsies, how you doing, man?" We would be, you know, we'd be doing the deep cuts, Liam. So I think you should really familiarize yourself with the Johnny Silverman deep cuts. I mean, that's fine. Uh, I will make an effort to see more of his deep cuts. I'm just talking about two things that impacted my life. Is someone going to be insulted that I'm like, hey, you did at least two projects that actually had an impact on who I am as a human being? That's a bummer. That's not like a fun, stoked out thing. Yeah, no, that's not fun. I'd be like, hey, you did Jimmy Ding voice on Kim Possible, the TV series that ran from 2004 to 2005. And I am not reading that off the Internet Movie Database at all at the moment. (laughs) What a ridiculous thing for you to even uh, say. He was also in The Odd Couple 2, Liam. The Odd Couple 2. Yeah, I don't care. It was the sequel to The Odd Couple. Hey, do you know that once the uh, single guy uh, crossed over with Caroline in the City, Liam? I did know that, yes. To All become right. Caroline guy? Like Oh m- maybe. Oh Oliver, look at you. <laughs> Oliver, tell me, sir. Eric Roberts the actor, you've directed him. You saw him in this movie. Who does he play in A Bet's a Bet? He plays the very angry boss of our chauvinistic lawyer who is Half wanting to tell him to clean up his ways and throw him out the door and half loving him for the business that he can potentially do for his company. He plays the the tyrant head of the company. He's kind of a – it actually is kind of a funny moment where uh, at first this lawyer, lead lawyer character uh, thinks he's going to be fired. So he basically tears into Eric Roberts saying that his wife tried to give him a blowjob at the Christmas party, that sort of thing. And then Eric – who then tells him that he's not going to fire him. He's actually giving him a big case. He just – you know, he's not bothered at all by this person insulting him. I guess you got to have a thick skin as a lawyer. Uh, Liam, what did you think of the Eric Roberts performance in this film? I mean, there's not much there, but he does it well. You know, he's he's sort of like, uh, yeah, like an angry boss, uh, commanding boss. But um, he's cer- there's certainly not a lot for him to do. Not a lot for him to do. I think he makes a, a decent impact in what he has to do. Hey, did you know that Johnny Silverman was also on Give Me a Break, Liam? Remember that show, Give Me a Break? Uh-huh. All right. Over to you, Oliver. What did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in the movie? Actually, I, the scene that you're talking about, which is the only one of two scenes that he's in the film, <laughs> so it's a 50-50 shot. But I actually yep. like that scene where you think that he's going to get very defensive over his wife and he just slaps him on the back. He's like, don't worry about it. My wife's a whore and walks out. That's like, classic. Right, okay. 
Classic Eric Roberts cool, I would say. <laughs> He's comfortable with it. If she's comfortable, yeah, everyone everyone seems happy. Everyone's happy. You know what? I wish that I wish that that is the feeling that I could project into the world at all times that everyone could be happy. You know, I want to ask you a question, Oliver, before we get into the very theme and topic of this podcast, which is whether Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Your film Bluebird from the year 2016. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in that? Eric Roberts is the fucking man in the Bluebird. Well, that's and without question. I mean, he adopts the persona of this tired, drunk uh, writer that once had fame. And you can feel his pain and you can feel his isolation. And, you know, it's a silent piece up until uh, the narration of the poem, which I think he reads so powerfully. So powerfully. So, yeah, for me, he's the fucking man. And he's also the fucking man because he gave me some wonderful stories, including when I asked him the question that I think would be obvious is, do you like Bukowski? And he just looks at me and just goes, no. Some of my friends <laughs> liked him. You know, I get it. But, like, no, like, I don't really like him. And in my head, I'm like, well, why did you take the job? And I, but I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to even go down that corridor. And then it comes to, to reading the, the poem. So it's just me, him, Eliza, and the, the sound recorder. And we're recording the poem. And we're doing it again and again and again. And he's getting a little frustrated that we're having to do it so many times. I'm like, well, look, let's break it up a little bit. And like I told him, you know, because I know this poem backwards and forwards. And sure. so we, we talked about it a little bit and, and he read it. And, and once he read it and as he was reading it, I was like, this is the one. This is the one we're using. And as soon as he finished, he burst into tears. And Eliza oh, wow. gives him a big hug. And he says to me, he says, man, like, thank you. He's like this. I, you know, this is a gift that you've given me. Like, I, I love this guy now. And he signed my Charles Bukowski poetry book as well like that's my little memento that i got from him so for so many reasons professionally and personally he's a fucking man i mean i think that that is a wonderful testament to both to to your relationship with him and his performance and you're right that i think his delivery of that poem in the short is very very strong and stirring liam eric roberts first was he the fucking man in bluebird just say yes yeah of course definitely now let's did you even watch to... it, Liam? Did you? He did. He did. I made him watch it. Isn't that right, Liam? Wait, wait a minute. Why would you assume I wouldn't fucking watch it? What is that about? It was really good. Thanks. That means a lot. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, no, I did. I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm not actually a huge Bukowski person either, though I do like that poem. Um, so when I saw what it was, I was like, oh, okay, well, I like that poem. I'm sure it's fine. And then afterwards, I was like, no, that was really good. I really liked the style of it. I liked the way you shot it. I think you used Eric. The To me, now, after this podcast, one of the things I care about is how you use Eric Roberts. And you used Eric Roberts very well. You know, that that is that is a role for him, I felt like. Eric Roberts does seem like the kind of guy who would have a little trouble with a microwave. And I felt that was a very real moment when he was pressing <laughs> the button. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was definitely real. Like you could, feel, you, could, you could feel his frustration from behind the lens. You're like, oh, here we go. That TV dinner's going across the room. <laughs> Liam O'Donnell, in the opposite sex from 2014, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Yeah, there, there's not a lot there, but he owns it and he brings something to the role, which is hard when it's a smaller role like that, you know? Liam, do you like Caddyshack too? No. Well, Jonathan Silverman plays Harry in 1988's Caddyshack 2. I'm aware. <laughs> All right. Over <laughs> to you, Oliver. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in 2014's A Bet is a Bet? He does absolutely everything that's asked of him in the two hours that he was on set. <laughs> so, yes, to, to me, like he is, he is the fucking man. I, I can imagine he got his lunch to go. 
<laughs> the fucking man in two projects from Oliver Ridge on this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And also from Liam, we're doubling up. I'm going to concur on both counts. Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 2016's Bluebird and 2014's The Opposite Sex, a.k.a. A bet's a bet. It's a movie that's flawed in a lot of different ways. I, the humor doesn't really hit for me, but it does have some interesting performances and some fun moments. If you have not checked out The Opposite Sex, why don't you give it a shot? Tell us what you think over at the uh, Twitter feed over at, at E-R-I-T-F-M. Tell us if you like The Opposite Sex and what you like about it. We'd love to hear from you anytime. But with that said, we need to take our final break. When we return, we're going to have a little chat with Oliver. We're going to do a little plugging, and we're going to say goodnight. episode number 68 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I want to give a giant thank you to the wonderful director Oliver Ridge. We've been talking about your film Bluebird, which people can check out right now. Oliver, what are you up to and where can people find out what you're doing? Well, you can find the Bluebird for free on Vimeo. Uh, yeah, just look for Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter because I've been blowing them up with the link and some behind the scenes photographs. So you guys can all watch this Eric Roberts film and his strong performance for free. Um, my first feature film, The Neighbor, has just debuted in theaters here in the U.S. and is on iTunes and Amazon and all those other rental platforms. And now, now I'm writing. Now I'm trying to figure out what's coming up next. I'm actually working on a documentary about Valerie Perrine, uh, who was Oscar nominated for a film that she did called Lenny, which is actually one of Eric Roberts' favorite films mm -hmm. directed by Bob Farsi. Um, but I'm doing this wonderful documentary uh, on her, which we're hoping to have out later this year. Now... The Neighbor, where can people check that out? Is that just uh, showing at festivals at the moment? No, The Neighbor The neighbor is out. We oh. came out last Friday. Yeah, so it's on iTunes right now. It's on Amazon Rentals, and it was in select theaters as well. Starring the wonderful William Fichtner. I'll tell you, if we were doing another podcast after Eric Roberts, he would make a good topic for, for another series of podcasts uh, covering a career of a really wonderful, underrated actor. Uh, I definitely want to check out The Neighbor, and I hope, now that it's available, that all of our listeners will check it out as well. And where are you on Twitter, Oliver? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, with the handle at OMRidge. At OMRidge. So yeah, we'll that was The Neighbor with Fickner, and then The Bluebird with, uh, obviously, Roberts. I'm slowly working my way through the cast of The Dark Knight. I'm a massive <laughs> Batman geek, so I'll be working my way through them. Liam, over at Cinepunks, there's all sorts of exciting things occurring. What's up uh, recently? I believe that you just released an episode of the of the the King podcast, Cinepunks, recently. The King podcast? Well, what I mean is like it's the head podcast, right? Because it's the Cinepunks podcast, and everything else is kind of minor comparatively. <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't know if our other podcast people would appreciate that, but yeah, Welcome. we actually. 
just put up uh, an episode of Cinepunks where we talk about uh, two Japanese horror films, um, 2LDK and Suicide Club. Uh, we just did an episode of Horror Business where we talked to the Lit Crit guy about uh, Jacob's Ladder and they look like people. And there's new episodes of uh, Got Me a Movie and uh, Black Sun Dispatches that just went up. And you have a, a new series of articles starting on Cinepunks, Liam, uh, written by myself and Adriana Gober, where we go over the career of Pier Paolo Pasolini. We're going through his career chronologically, and basically uh, she is transcribing conversations that we're having about him, and it's been really wonderful, awesome, actually, so far. And if you're a fan of Pasolini or you're always interested in him, uh, you can check that out over at Cinepunks. Hopefully by the time this is out, the uh, first article will be there. I'm sure half of that is very good. How do you mean, Liam? <laughs> I mean, you know, you can only take so much Doug in your life. Understood. Well, if you do want more Doug in your life, uh, you can go check out No Budget Nightmares over at NoBudgetPodcast.com. Our recent uh, episode is uh, features a movie called Schizophreniac, The Whoremangler. A very uh, uh, unpleasant title to say, but our new Upcoming episode, uh, is, it features the Ghanaian uh, action film Who Killed Captain Alex, uh, which has kind of a growing cult around it. We're definitely going to be checking that out. You can find that over at NoBudgetPodcast.com or on Twitter at NoBudgetPodcast. But if you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, and who wouldn't, you can go over to EricRobertsIsTheMan.com or check us out on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. Why don't you subscribe on iTunes? Why don't you leave us a review? We'd appreciate it very much. You can also find us on Facebook if you do a search for Eric Roberts is the man. But with that said, it's time for us to close up the Eric Roberts bag for another week. We'll be back very soon with another Eric Roberts classic. Good night, everybody. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. 